Today we are wrapping up our sermon series through Genesis that we started back in January. We looked at the life of Abraham starting back in Genesis chapter 12, and it is only fitting that today as we bring this series to a close, we end with Abraham's death. It is how all our lives end. We are born, we live, and we die. And as we think about our death, we can start to worry about all sorts of things. Did I get to do all that I wanted to do? What will I miss most when I'm gone? What about all the things I have done or accomplished or worked for? What will happen to those things? What about those I was responsible for? Is my family going to be okay without me? Abraham was likely tempted to have some of these anxious thoughts that any of us could have. But our passage today from Genesis 25 reminds us that God is ultimately in control. And even if we die, everything will be just fine in his hands. So let us open up the Bible or you can look in the bulletin. We're going to be in our sermon text today. It's Genesis chapter 25 verses 1 through 21. Again, you can find it first book in the Bible. You can look in the bulletin at the text printed there, Genesis 25, verses 1 through 21. Let us hear the word of God. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dadan. The sons of Dadan were Asherim, Latushim, and Lumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael named in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kadar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jeter, Nafish, and Kadema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. 
He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks, even if there are many names that are not found in our baby books, we thank you that this is your inspired word, that the people spoken of are real people who really existed long ago, your people, O God. And we pray, O Lord, that you would speak to us through your word today for the very spirit who inspired these words and dwells your people today and works through the preaching of your word. And so, God, use me in spite of my sin and weakness to faithfully and clearly proclaim your word. May it go forth in the power of your spirit and accomplish that which you want it to do and what you promise it will do. Open our ears to hear and open our hearts and minds to receive your word. And may your word take root in us and grow and bear fruit as we believe it, obey it, and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, as we look at this passage concerning Abraham and his death, what I want us to see is Abraham had a lot of promises fulfilled to him. But some were not yet fulfilled when he died. But God still kept those promises. That we can trust God will keep his word no matter what. And we see that in our passage. We're going to see how God kept his word to Abraham, to his sons. And finally, we're going to see how God is keeping his word to us even today. So if you look at this passage and you do the math, Abraham lived for roughly 38 years after his wife, Sarah, died. And in that time, Abraham took another wife named Keturah, and he had at least six children with her. These are the six that are mentioned. Now, 38 years, it may not be the numbers we mentioned here in, during prayer time or anything, but that is a long time to spend with this family. And we can understand that people may or may not wish to remarry after the death of a spouse. But what we see here is the Lord sees it as a sign of blessing, that God does not frown on remarriage. In fact, we are meant to see Keturah and the children she gives to Abraham as a blessing. After all, Abraham's story is centered around the gift of children. Sarah's barrenness was a source of sadness because it stood in the way of her and Abraham receiving the blessing of children. And so we can't rejoice that God would give such a great blessing in Isaac if we're looking askance at this second marriage and these other children from Keturah. God blessed Abraham with Sarah and God blessed Abraham with Keturah. It is a sign that God continued to bless Abraham and continued to keep his promises to Abraham even late in his life. Throughout the Bible, having a large family is a sign of God's blessing, and so was having a long life. 
And Abraham certainly had a long life. It says he lived to be 175 years old. That's old. And listen to how Genesis puts his death after saying he lived 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Those are almost the exact same words that we read earlier in Genesis 15, verse 15, where God promised to Abraham this, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. We see that even to his dying day, God is keeping promises to Abraham. But as blessed as Abraham's life was, he died without possessing all God promised to him. See, God promised to give to Abraham and to his descendants the whole land of Canaan. But all Abraham had was that field in the cave at Machpelah, just a burial plot. God promised to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. But even if you count Keturah's kids, he really just had one constellation, not all the stars in the sky. God promised that in Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. That doesn't really seem to have happened yet. And so Abraham approaches his death having never seen those promises fulfilled. And he would not see them fulfilled before he died. Life would go on without him. Isaac now inherited the covenant promises and Isaac would pass them on to his children in the next generation until God eventually fulfilled all his promises. But Abraham, even though he lived a very long time, would not be around for that. And so we should have a sense of sadness about Abraham. Sadness that he did not get to see it all before he died. But in that sadness, we are not without hope. This passage gives us a hint of hope that Abraham will see the fullness of all God had promised to him. We read that Abraham breathed his last and he died. We also read that he was buried. But in between breathing his last and dying... And being buried, the text of Genesis says something interesting. It says he was gathered to his people. That same phrase is used about Ishmael. It was also said about Moses and Aaron in our Old Testament reading. What does it mean to be gathered to his people? Well, it does not mean to be buried in a family tomb, because Moses was not buried in a family tomb. Aaron was not buried in a family tomb. I suppose it can mean, well, you're, you're dead like them. You're just dead. So you're, you're with them in, in death, in that general sense. But it seems to mean more than that. It suggests a gathering, a post-death reunion of some sort. It suggests that though Abraham has died, death is not the end. He does not cease to exist after death. That there is something beyond. That though Abraham's story has ended, God's story continues and Abraham will still be part of God's story. See, one of the greatest sadnesses of dying is that our life ends. The story of our life comes to a close. The unique paths we've walked, the decisions we've made, the relationships we've nurtured are done. 
But for those who trust in God, we are recipients of promises that are more powerful than death. Promises that will come true even after we die. And so even if our life feels unfulfilled, like we didn't get to go to fun day, or shorter than anticipated, we who believe in God approach death with eyes fixed in faith on promises that God will surely fulfill when Jesus returns. And when Jesus brings God's story to a very good ending. That was a day Abraham did not see before he died. But as Jesus said, it was a day he was able to see from afar by faith. And so Abraham can have faith about his own life and how God will keep promises to him. But he may still have anxieties about his descendants. He had been the patriarch of his family. He had been leading them in the way that people should go by trusting in God. How could he be sure that things would turn out for them? How would he know if his descendants would trust in the Lord and receive all God had promised? How would he know things would work out for them? Well, we are given brief summaries here of Ishmael and Isaac, the primary descendants of Abraham. And what we see is, guess what? God kept his promises to them. We first hear about Ishmael, and it seems like, dude, what are you doing here, Ishmael? Your story was over. Why are you interrupting our story about Abraham and Isaac? Well, we need to be interrupted so we can be reminded that God had promises to keep to Ishmael and he was going to keep them. Promises like you will have 12 princes. If you look back at Genesis chapter 17, verse 20, God promised Ishmael, you will be the father of 12 princes. Here's the 12 princes. Fulfillment. Check. God had also promised to make Ishmael into a great nation. Well, 12 princes and lands and peoples. I mean, that's a pretty good start to a great nation. He also promised something less good, that Ishmael would um, be a wild donkey of a man who would be in constant conflict with his kin and his neighbors. Well, it says that he settled over against all his kinsmen. So, promise fulfilled. Check. This is the Bible's way of showing us, guess what? God kept His Word. Even though Ishmael was not the promised child who, and he didn't inherit God's covenant blessings, God kept His promises regarding Ishmael. Even though Abraham sent Ishmael and his mother Hagar away with next to nothing, guess what? God still kept His promises. God still took care of them. That even after Abraham died, Ishmael lived a long life and died peacefully. God was faithful even to the next generation. So we hear that about Ishmael, and then we get to hear it about Isaac. We're not going to get into Isaac's story. We're going to move on to other things. But the next few chapters in Genesis deal with Isaac and his story. But we see even in these verses that God kept his word to Ishmael. Look at verse 11. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. For those of us with children, how precious would you find those words if they were about you and your children? That after my death, God blessed my sons. Don't we all want to know that? After we die, God continues to keep His promises to bless our children. 
But blessing does not always mean a life of comfort and ease. We read in verse 21 that Rebekah suffered from barrenness just like Isaac's mother Sarah did. And as readers, we're like, are you serious? Like, this just keeps happening. How does this keep happening? I mean, Rebekah was hand-selected and came from so far away to be Isaac's wife only to find out after years and years of trying. And you're left thinking, man, where did we go wrong? Well, we don't even have time to think that, really, before we read that Isaac prayed for the Lord to open Rebekah's womb. And then God did. I mean, we had eight chapters filled of tension of, is this going to happen for Sarah? And in one simple verse, the Lord grants Isaac's prayer and Rebecca conceives. Now, I'm sure it didn't happen that fast to Isaac and Rebecca, at least in their mind. But for us as readers, we are essentially assured, hey, I, I know you think this is going to happen all over again and there's reason to worry, but God's done it before and he does it again. He keeps his promises. There's no need to worry. God promised there would be descendants. There's going to be descendants. And so we should take similar comfort about God's promises, especially when it comes to our descendants. Whether our descendants are our natural family in the home or our spiritual family in the church. Our descendants may face different challenges than we had, or maybe our descendants will face eerily similar challenges to what we faced. We may rightfully be concerned about loved ones who don't believe in Jesus, and we should faithfully pray for them and share the gospel with them. But what I want us to see here is that ultimately, our descendants, be they biological or spiritual, they are in God's hands. And whatever the world may do to them, whatever troubles they may get into, whatever problems and suffering they face, the one thing we don't have to worry about is what God's going to be up to in all of that. We do not have to worry about God because God will be faithful to His Word. God will be good no matter the circumstances. We can count on Him for ourselves and for them. And so for these reasons, we have anxiety about death, this fundamental issue of worry as we approach death. We worry for ourselves. We worry for others. We worry about all sorts of things, about missing out on good things after we die, about loved ones who might not be able to make it with us. But where, where does this worry come from? Why do we have this worry? Why do we feel this way as we come to death? Well, I believe it's because deep down we are living for this world, with eyes only for this world that we value life in this world before death so strongly that when we are faced with the fragile, finite nature of life in this world, we get very anxious and worried. We can make this world into all that we want it to be. We make our life all about our story instead of seeing ourselves as part of God's story that is far bigger than our natural lifetime. What does this look like? Well, isn't this how a successful founder of a business can be tempted to act? Struggling to hand over the business to a successor, wondering what will happen to his precious company in someone else's hands. 
Someone who keeps slavishly working, trying to hit the next goal, hoping that hard work will somehow keep death away and we can just keep this going as long as possible. We can do that with eyes only for this world. Or consider consider the aging matriarch of a family who sees the next generations growing up and leaving her behind. Seeing her days are numbered and she's worried. Worry can channel itself into a desire to control and orient the lives of others around that person's story. Now, yes, we should strive to leave a faithful legacy. We should pray for our family and share the gospel with them. But prayer and evangelism, those are hope-filled. Those are future-focused actions. Too often we can focus only on this life and trying to make this life perfect, wanting to exert influence over this life and others in our story, in our orbit. Too often our actions reveal that we are living only for this world. That's exactly how the religious leaders of Jesus' day lived. And that is a strong contrast to Abraham. In our New Testament reading from John 8, Jesus said that Abraham rejoiced to see Jesus' day and he was glad. That Abraham eagerly looked ahead to an eternal kingdom when all God's promises would be fulfilled. But the religious leaders loved their place right now in the worldly kingdom. All the flaws and shortcomings of the worldly kingdom didn't bother them as long as they had their place in it. And they were protective of their place in the present and so couldn't live with hope for the future. We need to live as people who trust God's promises and so live with hope for the future. For the future when Jesus comes again and brings all of God's promises to their fulfillment. You see, unless Jesus returns before our death, we all die like Abraham. We all die only seeing parts of God's promises fulfilled. Now, yeah, we know more promises than Abraham did. Yes, we are given a clearer vision of the future than Abraham had. And so we need to fix our eyes on that forever future, knowing that is our ultimate destination as God's people. Because we are so tempted to secure our place here in this world. And when we do that, death scares us. No matter how well-ordered your life is, disruption is sure to come. No matter how much the world may change for the better, it can still deteriorate. I do not say this to be a demotivational speaker. Quite the opposite. I just want you not to be stressed by the dissatisfaction you feel about this life. In a sense, we are all meant to feel dissatisfied with this life because we are meant for a future world and a heavenly kingdom. This is how C.S. Lewis puts it in his final book in the Chronicles of Narnia series where one character enters the new Narnia representing the new heavens and the new earth, that forever kingdom. Here's what this character says. This character is a unicorn, by the way, if anyone likes unicorns. He says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. 
the reason why we loved the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little like this. You see, we grasp at the things of this world. We cling to them. We try to make this passing world our permanent world, but death is our reminder that there is a world to come, that we have a greater hope than the good things of this world. The good things of this world are merely a glimpse of that hope. And I can't stand up here and tell you what is going to happen to our world. I can't tell you what is going to happen to our nation, to our community, our school districts. I can't tell you what's going to happen to our local church, to your family or to my family. What I can tell you is that God will be faithful. And I know the future for God's people is the fulfillment of all God's promises. Is that your hope? Do your eyes turn their focus to the age to come when we will be with Jesus forever? Do you so long for those days that you want to tell others about the hope you have that they might join you forever? Do you work diligently but not slavishly now, knowing that our work glorifies God and serves others? And do you earnestly pray for the Lord to faithfully keep your loved ones close to Him, saving them in Christ and preserving them to the end? That is a life of hope. Let us live as people with hope. Let us live with the faith of Abraham. Let us look forward and see the day when Christ shall return. And let us be glad. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us the faith of Abraham, that hopeful outlook. Wean us away from this world that we would more desire the kingdom that is to come. Help us to live as citizens of that kingdom even now here on earth. To long to be with Jesus and to proclaim that good news that others might rejoice with us. Father, help us to pray. Prayers of hope. And help us to trust in You. To relinquish control. And to know that You, O God, are faithful to Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen.